that's what we are going to do tonight. We are going to give you 10 characteristics of the Antichrist, and we are going to be able to identify without having to guess. So let's turn our Bibles to Revelation chapter 13. And uh, as you turn there, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. So Revelation chapter 13, where we find a beast. And uh, we will see what that means in a little bit. So as you're turning there, if you will, I invite you to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, again we come before your presence. Our hearts are filled with desire to know the truth of the Bible, especially what the book of Daniel and Revelation has to say about the last days. And Father, tonight we pray for, again, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Give us understanding, enlighten our minds, and Father, if our hearts are cut, give us the assurance that you want what is best for us, that you love us, and you care for us, and you desire to heal us, and not to humiliate or defeat us. For we pray all these in the precious name of Jesus. Let everyone say, Amen. So, Revelation chapter 13, we're going to read verse 1. Notice what it says in verse 1. You have in the slide, in case you don't have a Bible available. Revelation 13, verse 1, the Bible says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a what, everyone? A beast rising out of the sea. Very important, rising out of the sea. I highlighted there the important aspects of this beast. It rose out of the sea, having seven heads and how many horns? Ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. And then it says, Now the beast which I saw was like what animal, everyone? A leopard, but it doesn't stop there. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So... This chapter, Revelation 13, is the chapter that we find the beast, is the chapter that we find the mark of the beast, is the chapter that we find the number 666. Are we together, everyone? But before we get into the mark of the beast, before we get into the number 666, we need to understand who or what is this beast. But this imagery of leopard, bear, lion, ten horns come all the way from Daniel chapter 7, friends. Remember, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, they go what? Together, hand in hand. So we cannot understand Revelation 13 without first understanding Daniel chapter what, everyone? chapter 7 that's exactly what we are doing right now we are migrating from revelation and we are going all the way to the book of daniel and chapter 7 so if you have your bibles turn there with me to revelation uh, excuse me to daniel chapter 7 and we are going to start in verse 2 okay notice very carefully what it says first i'm going to read a little description of the vision and then we are going to break down the meaning of that vision, okay? So notice what it says here in Daniel chapter 7, verse 2. The Bible says, Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great what, everyone? 
sea, and let's see what comes out of that sea. And four great what everyone, beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. So, and then notice what it says in verse 17. I want you to go with me in verse 17, because we need to understand from the Bible, from where everyone? What a beast in Bible prophecy actually mean, okay? So notice, notice what it says in verse 17. Those great beasts which are for, are for what, everyone? Kings which arise out of the, out of the earth. But there, those beasts arose out of the sea, and that is because sea in Bible prophecy. If you want the reference, I give it to you. We are not going to go now uh, there now. Revelation 17 verse 15 tells us that sea is a symbol of nations, of peoples, of tongues and multitudes. So these four kings, they arose from an area that was highly populated. I went together. So notice what it says in verse 23, Daniel 7, verse 23. So we are trying to find out more about what a beast represents in Bible prophecy. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth what? A fourth what? Kingdom on earth. Friends, a beast in Bible prophecy is a symbol of a what, everyone? of a kingdom, of a power, okay? So we're dealing here with the kingdom. So we see four beasts, that means four what, everyone? Kingdoms. And let me just give you, starting right now, that these four kingdoms, they parallel with the four kingdoms of Daniel chapter 2. Because in the book of Daniel, God uses the principle, repeat and who can finish? Enlarge. Very good. So he repeats the same time frame, but he adds more information. Are you together? Are we together? Why does God do that? Any, any teacher here tonight? Anyone teaches here or have taught before? Okay, no one. But basically, this is a simple... Repetition deepens the impression, right? It helps you to remember. You can't retain everything. So you cover one time, and then you cover for the second time. But the second time, you add more information. Are we together? So very good. So notice carefully here what we find. That's the statue of the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and the interpretation. The head of gold, meaning Babylon, all the way from the days of Daniel. But he prophesied the fall of Babylon for the Middle Persian, the, the, the chest and, and arms of silver. And then after Middle Persian came what kingdom, everyone? Greece, that's the third kingdom that ruled the earth, especially those areas where God's people were involved. Notice what it says. The fourth kingdom, the legs of iron, represented who? Rome. And then you have the feet of iron and clay, which represents divided what? Europe. So that's the, just a review of Daniel 2. And Daniel 7, we find again the same nations. The lion, the bear, the leopard, the dragon, and the ten horns. And they represent, in the same sequence, Babylon, Middle Persian, Greece, Rome, and divided Europe, as we are going to see. But God will add more information, and we will see that tonight as well. Go with me to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 4. We are going to study the very first kingdom. The very first what, everyone? 
kingdom. And by the way, you can see right here those four kingdoms here in our banner, in our backdrop banner here. So here you have the four kingdoms. And friends, it's very common uh, in the world to use animals or beasts to represent a kingdom. For instance, if I speak to you of an eagle, what country comes to your mind? The United States of America, okay? So, and other kingdoms or nations are represented by animals as well. And God uses that imagery to speak about four great nations that would rise in the world. All the way from the days of Daniel that lived uh, here, you know, in the, in the 6th century B.C., okay? So, we are dealing with more than... 2,500 years ago. So the first one, it says in Daniel 7, verse 4. The first was like a what animal, everyone? A lion and had uh, eagle's wings. That's interesting. We know it's not a true lion here. It's symbolic, of course, of a kingdom. I watched it till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand uh, on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. So, friends, there is no question this is a symbol of Babylon. Do you know what that is? That is a piece of the walls of Babylon. The walls of what nation, everyone? Yes, you can go to the museum, Pergamon Museum in Berlin, and you can see this amazing wall and much more. And notice what is there in the walls of Babylon. What is that, everyone? A lion. But not only a lion, a lion with what, everyone? Wings. Eagle's wings. Okay, so a very common symbol in Babylon. And God used that imagery in Daniel chapter 7 to represent the first name. And just as the lion is the top of the animals, the king, gold also is the top of the metals. Are we together, everyone? So let's move on here. But the wings represent what? Notice Habakkuk. You don't need to go there. In Habakkuk 1 verse 6 and then verse 8 says, For indeed I am raising up who? The Chaldeans, and it's talking about the Babylonians of the days, okay? So the Chaldeans trace back all the way to the Benzapotamia, the nation of Babylon. A bitter and what kind of nation? Hasty nation, okay, which marches through the breadth of the earth. Notice verse 8. They do what, everyone? Fly as the eagle that does what? hastens to eat so the, the 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 eagle's wings represent the speed of conquest are, are we together and babylon became a nation that ruled the known world of the time um, from the year 605 some people put even 612 depending where you are beginning to count all the way to 539 bc and then we find in daniel 7 verse 5 daniel 7 verse 5 the second beast what does it say there? And suddenly another beast, a second like a what everyone? A bear. It was raised up on one side. That's interesting. And then it says, and had how many ribs? Three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, arise, devour, and eat um, and and uh, arise, devour much flesh. This is none, none other than Middle Persian Empire. And it's interesting that the three reeves represent the three conquests of Middle Persian Empire in order to rule the non-world. 
Besides Babylon, you had Lydia striving for power in the north, and then you had Egypt striving for power in the south. Okay, so, and of course, the fact that the bear was raised in one side higher than the other represents the alliance of the Medes and the Persians. The alliance of what nations again? The Medes and the Persians. The Medes, um, they were stronger at first, but eventually the Persians became stronger and there was an unbalance, okay? So the Persians stronger than the Medes. Now let's go to the third beast in verse 6. If you have your Bibles, go there with me to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 6. The Bible says, After these I looked, and there was another like what animal, everyone? A leopard, which is already fast, which had on its back how many wings? Four wings of a bird. It became super fast now. And then it says, The beast also had how many heads, everyone? Four heads and dominion was given to eat. Okay, so notice this is none other than the Grecian Empire that came after Middle Persian. And you see here the parallel with Daniel chapter 2 from the year 331 BC to 168 BC. Now, was the Grecian Empire a very fast empire in conquering like a leopard with wings? Make no mistakes, that's a perfect representation of the conquests of Alexander who? The Great, okay? Which in seven years only, he was able to conquer the whole known world and expand the, the empire even more. To the point that he got really frustrated that he had nothing else to conquer and he died um, as a result of his drinking habits. And after his death... You know, they came to him. His son was very young and could not uh, take his place. His general came to him. Who is going to rule the empire? And he said in his deathbed, the strongest, the strongest. And his empire was divided by his four generals. How many generals did I say, everyone? Four generals. How many had did the leper had? Four heads. Prophecy is amazing. Daniel didn't live to see that. Daniel is long time dead already and the beginning of the Middle Persian Empire. Okay, and we are already all the way in the Grecian Empire after the death of Alexander the Great when the empire was divided in four parts. There you have the four strongest generals of Alexander the Great that divided the empire. You have Lysimachus, you have Cassander, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. Okay, so we don't need to get into the details there, but quickly you can see the regions of the, the, the Greek Macedonian empire that they reigned. Very good. Now we go to the fourth beast. Are you, are you ready for the fourth beast? Okay, verse 7. If you have your Bibles, go back to Daniel chapter 7. And verse 7, okay, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 7, the Bible says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. But look this one, he couldn't even describe it. Dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. And then he says in the next verse, uh, it's still in verse 7, excuse me, and he had huge, what kind of teeth, everyone? Iron teeth. Notice the relationship with Daniel chapter 2. What was the metal that represented the fourth empire? Iron. And here the fourth beast also has the element of what, everyone? Iron. It had iron teeth. It was devouring and doing what, everyone? 
breaking in pieces. If you go back to Daniel chapter 2, it says that iron breaks in pieces. Are you together? Okay, so very good. So there is a clear relationship there between the two chapters and trampling the residue with its feet. Now notice, verse, verse 7, it says here, It was what, everyone? Different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had how many horns? Ten horns. Friends, we need to interpret that, but we know from the start that this is a reference to the Roman Empire. The iron monarchy of Rome, as historians refer to the Roman Empire. But what about these ten horns that uh, we see in these beasts? Any suggestion? We don't need suggestion. We just need to see what the Bible says. If it is in the Bible, I believe. If it is not in the Bible, it's not for me, right? So notice in verse 24, it talks about the horns. It says the ten horns are ten, what everyone? Kings who shall arise from where? From this kingdom. So we see that from this terrible beast, rises ten other kingdoms, and that correlates to the feet of iron and clay and the ten toes that represents the division of the Roman Empire. The western part of the Roman Empire, Europe, was divided by ten barbarian tribes. Those are the ten horns that we see. Here you have the relationship in the, in the picture between the feet and the ten horns of that dreadful beast. And I want you to see that this is not an interpretation of mine. It's not an interpretation of who did I say? It's not my interpretation. I want you to see this. That this interpretation is actually quite old. It's quite what, everyone? Old. Let me show you what uh, this historian wrote over here. Notice carefully. Edward Gibbon. He wrote the image, and he's not Christian, by the way. He's a secular historian. I want you to see what he wrote. Listen very carefully. The image of what, everyone? Gold, silver, brass, that might serve to represent the what, everyone? Nations and their kings were successively broken by the iron monarchy of Rome. Isn't that interesting? A secular historian identifying Daniel chapter 2 with the nations of, you know, that the nations that were replaced by the iron monarchy of Rome. Very good. Now, how about Daniel chapter 7? Oh, this is amazing. Look over here. That's the courthouse in um, Nuremberg in Germany. Built somewhere there in the 17th century, more you know, 400 years old at least, okay? And what do you see there? What do you see there? This is amazing, actually, if you think about that. Who is that one over there? No, but the man that was there beside that lion with eagle's wings, by the way. That's Nebuchadnezzar. Make no mistake, this is a picture, it's a statue of Nebuchadnezzar besides what kind of animal, everyone? A lion with eagle's wings. Do you see the relationship there between the lion and Babylon? Okay, so in the other side, what do you see there? You see a Persian man beside what animal, everyone? No, not a leopard. It's a bear. It's a bear, friends, representing the Middle Persian Empire. 
And then in the, and just in case you, you can't actually fully see it, but if you find some pictures in the internet, you will see that in the mouth of the bear, you find how many ribs? Three ribs. Friend, this is a courthouse, nothing to do with Bible prophecy, but they put it there in their courthouse. They put a book nazar with a lion with eagle's wings and a Persian man beside a bear with three ribs in its mouth. It might be Cyrus. It might as well be Cyrus. Yes. So notice here, but it doesn't stop. In the other side, look what you find, friends. Look what you find. You find a Grecian soldier besides a leopard with how many heads? No? How many heads did the leopard have in Daniel chapter 7? Four heads. And that's exactly what you find there, okay? So the four heads there. And then in the other side, you find a Roman soldier besides a dreadful beast with how many horns? Ten horns. You know, what I'm sharing with you tonight is not my interpretation. I want to make it clear. First of all, it doesn't matter who has come up with this. It's in the Bible, I believe. Are are we together? But I want you to understand that scholars for centuries have already identified these four beasts, the ten horns as the division of the, the Roman Empire by the ten barbarian tribes, and they have also identified what comes next. And what comes next is so important tonight. It's actually the Antichrist of Bible prophecy. Are you ready for this, my friends? Okay, so remember, if it is in the Bible, I believe. If it's not in the Bible... It's not for me. Are we together? And remember, friends, as we go through the ten identified characteristics of the Antichrist, as we are going to see now, from now on, remember that Jesus is not a butcher, but Jesus is what, everyone? He's a surgeon. He cuts. Yes, the truth cuts. He compares the truth with a sword, the sword of the Spirit. It cuts. It cuts deep, but it cuts to heal and not to kill. Are we together? Jesus never sends truth to humiliate people, but to save and to restore. Notice carefully what it says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. Go back to your Bibles if you have a Bible. If you don't have, follow carefully here on the screen. But we are going to identify the little horn power that rises from among the ten horns in this dreadful beast. The Bible says, I was considering the horns. This is Daniel. Look into those ten horns. And there was another horn. What kind of horn was that? A little horn. That's the first identifying characteristic of the Antichrist. It is a little horn. And we know that a horn in Bible prophecy is a symbol of a kingdom. It is a little kingdom. Coming up from where, everyone? Among them. Interpret for me what them actually means. Because it comes out of or from among those, whatever is this, them. What are them here? The ten horns. And we know that the ten horns is the division of the Western Roman Empire, modern Europe. Are we together? By the barbarian tribes, the ten barbarian tribes. So this little kingdom would rise in the Western side of the Roman Empire in Europe. So let's move on here. 
The verse says, before whom, what happens there as a result of that horn coming up? Three of the first horns, in other words, three of those barbarian kingdoms were what, everyone? Plucked out by the roots. So he was responsible for the elimination of how many kingdoms? Three kingdoms of the barbarian tribes that divided the Roman Empire in 476. So notice carefully what it says here. He, in verse 24, jump with me in your Bibles to verse 24. The Bible says, giving more characteristics of the Antichrist of Bible prophecy, says, he shall be what, everyone? Different. All the other ones, they were like political powers, and they were pagans, but this is different. And we are going to see in what way in a little bit. He, he shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue how many kings? Three kings or three horns as we have already seen. Now go back to verse 8, everyone. We have more characteristics in verse 8. In verse 8 says, And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of who, everyone? Of a man. So we see here eyes, friends. Think about that. Eyes is what gives us vision. It what gives us discernment. Okay? It what gives you know, direction. So we see here that the eyes is the eyes of a man. And we can expect to see a man as the head, as the one that gives vision, as the one that leads that power. Now notice carefully what it says here in the rest of the verse. And a mouth is speaking what kind of words? Pompous words. But that doesn't say much. Let's uh, elaborate a little bit about that. Come with me all the way to verse 25. What verse are we now together? Verse 25 to elaborate what it means to speak pompous words. It says here in verse 25, And he, that's the little horn power, shall speak what kind of words? Pompous words against who the most high who is the most high everyone that's god okay that's god the father especially so he's speaking pompous words and i want you to notice the word against did you notice that word are we together everyone yes or no okay so we have the word against what it means to speak against god Okay, some of you are already ahead of me. I want to share a quick verse with you. Just take the reference just for the sake of time. Notice what we find in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 45, when Paul was speaking the gospel. When Paul was speaking what, if you want? The gospel. Notice carefully. Some of the Jews didn't like that. And it says here, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with what, if you want? envy and uh, spake how against exactly what it says here that the little horn power speak against right so they speak against how do you speak against of the ones proclaiming the good news of the gospel they speak against those things which were spoken by paul doing two things contradicting and what is the next word everyone blasphemy to speak against, according to the Bible, because if it is in the Bible, I believe if it's not in the Bible, it's not for me. But according to the Bible, to speak against means to contradict and to what, everyone? 
blaspheming. Okay, so very good. So we can expect that the little horn power will be a blasphemous power. Okay, so what, what, is, what is the biblical definition of blasphemy? Are we together? It doesn't matter what I think blasphemy is. It doesn't matter what you think about blasphemy is. It matters what the Bible says what blasphemy is. So in John chapter 10, John chapter what, everyone? 10. You're, you're welcome to go there. Make sure you mark your Bible in Daniel chapter 7. And we are going all the way to John chapter 10. And what happened in John chapter 10 was Jesus Christ. He said something that really bothered the Jewish leaders. He said this, I and the Father are one. Do you remember that? Oh, the Jews didn't like that and they took on stones to stone him because they realized what Christ was saying. He was saying that he was divine just as much as the Father was divine. Are you together? So notice what it says in chapter 10 of the book of John, verse 33. The Jews answered him because he he asked them, why are you stoning me? Have I not done good works among you? For what good works are you stoning me? And then they say, the, the Jews answer him saying, For a good work we do not stone you. But for what reason? But for what? For blasphemy. And because you, being a what kind of person? Just a man, make yourself what? God. Is that clear for you tonight? That blasphemy, according to the Bible, is when a man claims to be God on earth. Is that clear? So that's not my definition, is the Bible. So we can expect the little horn power to claim to be God on earth or to have the same prerogatives of God. But we find a second definition in Luke chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, we have Jesus again. And Jesus finds a man that was paralytic. And Jesus sees that this man wanted to be forgiven because the Jews put so much pressure on him saying, you are cursed by God, that's why you are sick. God has rejected you, you are full of sin, that's why you have this malady. And this man was longing for the forgiveness of God and Jesus says to him, your sins are what everyone? forgiven and I want to read with you what it says beginning in verse 20 the Bible says Luke 5 verse 20 when he saw their faith he said to him man your sins are forgiven you and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason saying who is this who speaks what everyone blasphemy why did they say that who can forgive sins but God alone. This is not talking about you do something wrong against me and then I forgive it. That's not the kind of forgiveness we are talking about. We ought to forgive one another. But this is the kind of forgiveness that gives salvific power, that atones for sin. Jesus was saying your sins are forgiven, meaning that you have been accepted by God. Your sins has, you know, have been forgiven, absorbed. Notice, go back to Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. We have more characteristics there. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. 
The Bible says concerning the little horn power, and he shall speak pompous words against the Most High. That's blasphemy we already know. We can expect to see the little horn power claiming to be God on earth and claiming to forgive sins. Shall also do what, everyone? Persecute the saints of the Most High. It will be a persecuting power against God's people. And shall intend to change times and laws. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for how long time? A time and time and half time. I don't want to lose you. I'll keep it really simple. What does that mean? It's important. Okay, that's another identifying characteristic of the little horn power. Uh, it will persecute the saints of the Most High for a time. That's one time. Are we together? Times. That's at least how many times? Two. So time with times. We have three times. Are we together? And half time. How many times we have all together here? Three and a half. Okay, so and of course, uh, in the Jewish Old Testament Bible, a time was equivalent to one year. One what, everyone? We have three years and a half. But I want to keep it really simple, and I want you to go with me to Revelation chapter 12. Because in Revelation chapter 12, we find the same time period. The same what, everyone? time period exactly the same and i want you to see this it's just fascinating and amazing there is no reason to guess here or to complicate notice what it says in revelation 12 and verse 14 what verse are we verse 14 notice carefully this is a different prophecy but pertaining to the same time frame but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into what place, everyone? Into the wilderness, to her place where she is nourished for how long? For a time and times and half time. Now, I want you to compare this verse with verse 6. What verse, everyone? 6. Let's compare them. It says, and the woman, we find a woman in both sides, in both verses, fled into where, everyone? The wilderness. We find the wilderness in both verses, where she has a place prepared by God that they should, what, everyone? Feed. One side says nourish. The other says feed her for how long? 1,260 Days. So therefore, friends, when you put the two ver verses side by side, we know that a time and times and half time is equal to what? 1,260 days. Are we together? That's exactly three years and a half. If you take to account the Jewish month, okay? The general Jewish month has 30 days each month, okay? So... I do understand that the last month they have an adjustment. But generally speaking, the Jewish month has how many days, everyone? 30 days. Okay, so if you count three years and a half, considering a Jewish month of 30 days, you have 1260 days. But we know, according to our study yesterday and according to the scriptures, that one day in Bible prophecies is equal to what, everyone? One year, Ezekiel says, Then you shall bear the iniquity of the house of Judah forty days. But then God says, I have laid on you a day for each year. As God was prophesying the lot of the Israelites. So he made it clear that for, what, uh, for each day would be one year. So this power would actually persecute God's people for how long? 
1260 years. Friends, if you go to Revelation, this is an extra verse, okay? So I will need to charge extra for this verse. So go to Revelation chapter 13, everyone. Let's go there. I want you to see. It's just fascinating. The Bible even gives mathematical evidence or identifying characteristics of the little horn power. Revelation 13. And I want you to see with me what it says in verse... Five. Are you there? The Bible says, And he was given a mouth speaking great things and what, everyone? Blasphemies. We're talking about the same power here, by the way. And he was given authority to continue for how long? 42 months. Now, you multiply, you good ones of math, you multiply 42 months by 30 each month having 30 days. That's why we're multiplying by 30. 42 months multiplied by 30. How many days we have? 1260, year, 1260 days. But we know each day in Bible prophecy is equal to a year. Therefore, the 1260 days is equal to 1260 years. That's how long the little horn power would exert power over um, God's people. You know, be a persecuting power. Go back to Daniel 7 verse 25. Verse 25 of Daniel 7, we have one more identifying characteristic that I want you to see, at least one more here, but we might see another one, don't remember now. So notice what it says, and he shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall, what? Intend to change times and what, everyone? So it would be a power that will try to change the law of God, especially a law pertaining to time. Friends, can we really change God's law, yes or no? We can't. Like, God is in control. He is all-powerful. But here it doesn't say that He will change. It says that He will intend to change times and laws. In other words, this power would attempt to change the very what, everyone? A law of God. Here we have the ten identifying characteristics. As I said, it's a matter, uh, you know, it's a very elementary matter. You know, when we laid out the ten characteristics, everyone can easily identify this power. First of all, it's a little kingdom. Are we together? Second, arose among the ten horns, meaning Western Europe. Okay, so number three, arose after the, the ten horns, because the ten horns came first, right? And then sometime after, it arose. It arose to power, okay? So it might have existed before, but having no political power over uh, the nations to persecute the sins of the Most High. But we know that uh, the ten horns, how many horns did I say, everyone? Ten, ten which corresponds to the ten tolls. Uh, Western Europe was divided in the year, listen very carefully, 476 A.D. What year did I say? 476 A.D. So it would come to power sometime after 476 A.D. Are we together? Okay, so let's go on. Another identifying characteristic, cause three horns or three kingdoms to be what? plucked out and then number five it is diverse or different from the other ones number six a man as the head 
Number seven, it speaks blasphemy, claim to be God on earth and have the prerogatives to forgive sins. Number eight, persecutes God's people. Number nine, change or intend to change God's law. And finally, number 10, it ruled for how long time? 12, 60 years. Friends, here tonight, again, I want to repeat this. Jesus is not a butcher, but Jesus is what, everyone? He is a surgeon. He sends truth not to hurt, not to humiliate, but to what, everyone? To heal, okay? So whatever we're going to study tonight, he has the purpose. It's a message sent by God in his holy word to bring healing, restoration, and not humiliation. Friends, there is no other power that fulfills all these ten characteristics other than the Roman church and state. And we are going to go each characteristic all over again quickly to see that all ten characteristics actually perfectly fulfill the characteristics of the Antichrist as the Roman church and state. Friends, the first one, is the Roman Catholic church and state a little kingdom, yes or no? Well, yes, it's not only a church, okay? It has political power, it has state power. He has political representation in the world. Notice what it says here. A rose among the ten horns is the Roman Catholic Church, state church. Um, uh, did they rise in Western Europe? Yes or no? Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay, they were in Rome. And, uh, and a rose among the ten horns, meaning the, the ten divisions of the Roman Empire. It arose after the ten horns came up first, after 476 AD. You may say, but the Catholic Church, it existed way before. It did exist way before, but without power. As a nation, as a kingdom. Remember, it became a little horn power. It became a kingdom now. Having political power, temporal power. Sometime after 476 A.D. Remember, friends, Constantine, what did Constantine do in the year, if I'm not mistaken, 333 or 34? What he did was he left the city of Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, and moved to the other side to the city of what, everyone? Constantinople. Okay, so he found the city of Constantinople after his own name, and he switched the capital of the Roman Empire all the way from the west to the east. And then he left a vacancy in the west, and then eventually the bishop of Rome began, uh, began to rise in power, okay, all the way until what we're going to see in a little bit. Now, notice carefully here, characteristic number four, caused three horns or three kingdoms to be what, everyone? Plucked out. Through the help of the uh, um, Eastern Roman Empire, what part of the Roman Empire? The eastern, where Constantinople was, it wasn't divided. Only the west, after Constantine left, years after, it became weaker and weaker, eventually collapsed. The bishop of Rome could not do anything about it. And then the eastern part says, we can help you guys out. And then Justinian, what name did I say? Justinian, the emperor of the eastern part, said, we will lend you our army to fight the battles of the church. Not only Justinian, even the Franks, one of the barbarian tribes, 
Clovis was converted to Catholicism, and he gave his army to the Catholic Church to fight the holy wars. And they were able to eliminate how many kingdoms? Three, the Vandals, the Herolites, and the Ashragoth. All those three were anti-Catholic barbarian tribes. Are we together? And that's why the Catholic Church could not rise to power until those three tribes were completely eliminated. And they did that with the help of the Franks and the western part of the Roman Empire. Justinian helped uh, the Roman Catholic Church rise through political power. And by the way, the last tribe, the Ostrogoths, that were located in Italy, preventing the Pope to have supremacy, they were eliminated or at least um, expelled from Italy in the year, do you know what year it was in? 538. I want you to remember this date. What date did I say, everyone? 538. Somehow mentalizing your mind here. 538. Are we together? 538. So let's go on here. And then we saw in Daniel 7:24 that it was what, everyone? A different kingdom from the first ones. Why is it different? Because now it's not only a kingdom, but it's also a church. It has not only political power, but ecclesiastical power. I want to read this to you. This is a historian writing. He wrote the following in the book, um, The Rise of the Medieval Church, on page 168. The Bishop of Rome. Who is the Bishop of Rome? Is the Pope. Is the seed of Caesar. Because remember, uh, you know, the capital of the empire left Rome and went all the way to Constantinople. And who was left in Rome to sit on the seat of the Caesars? It was the Bishop of Rome. Notice what it says here was now the greatest man in the West and was soon forced to become, what everyone? The political as well as spiritual head. And then he goes on to say, he continues, to the Western world, that's exactly where the papacy rose, the Western world, uh, Rome, was still the what? The political capital, okay? So it has all the prestige, even though Constantinople had the Caesars. Hence the whole habit of mind, all ambition and pride and sense of glory and every social prejudice favor the evolution of the great city in the ecclesiastical capital. Notice what it says here. He goes on to say, what kind of, uh, of disputes? Civil as well as religious disputes were, re uh, help me with that word, refereed to the successor of Peter for settlement. Very good. So we see here that uh, the papacy eventually acquired not only religious prestige and power, but also what kind of power, everyone? Civil, political, military. Notice in verse 6, it says here one of the identifying characteristics, a man as the head, right? As we saw that he had eyes of a man, a mouth speaking, meaning that he had the one who was the leader, the one who was the vision, the discernment, okay, of that political power and ecclesiastical power was a man. So does the papacy has a man as the head of the organization and the, and the country, yes or no? Well, yes, we know that the Bishop of Rome is the one who is in the head. Now, it says here, another characteristic was, it speaks what, everyone? 
blasphemy. And we saw that the biblical characteristic or uh, definition of blasphemy is what? Claims to be God on earth and have the prerogative to what? Forgive sins. Now, I'm going to quote here some Catholic sources. What kind of sources did I say, everyone? Catholic sources. Notice this one. The Archbishop of Venice, notice what is written here. He later became Pius X. He became a Pope. He wrote the following. The Pope is not only the representative of Jesus Christ. He is who? Jesus Christ himself, hidden under the veil of of flesh. Friends, with all respect, Jesus always sent truth to heal and not to humiliate. He is a surgeon and not a what, everyone? A butcher, okay? So here is very clearly we identify the bishop of, uh, of Rome speaking what, everyone? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Because he says that the Pope is he himself, Jesus Christ. Notice another Catholic um, reference. It says here, the Pope is of so great dignity and so exalted that he is not a what kind of man? A mere man, but as it were God and the vicar of God. The Pope is crowned with how many crowns? Triple crown as king of heaven and of earth and of the lower regions. If you study the Bible, the one who is king of heaven is who, everyone? Is Jesus Christ. And he will come to this earth as king of kings. Notice another Catholic source. The Catechism of the Council of Trent, page 175. It says, unlike the authority given to the priests of the old law. It's talking about the the priests of the Old Testament, okay? To declare the leper what? Cleansed from his leprosy. In other words, what he's saying here is, you know, the priests of the Old Testament only had the power to declare somebody clean that had already been cleansed by God. That's the only power they had to declare. But unlikely them, what happens? The power with which the priests of the new law are invested is not simply to declare the sins forgiven. They don't only declare, you know, when you go to the priest or to the father or to, to the bishop, they don't only declare that your sins have been forgiven. But as the ministers of God rely to absolve from sins. In other words, they, they don't only declare, but as the ministers of God, they also absolve sins. And that is another definition of what, everyone? blasphemy okay so very good so number eight persecuted god's people is that identifying characteristic does that fit the roman catholic church and state yes or no make no mistake friends another historical source and then i'm gonna this is this is just a a historian it's not catholic and then i'm going to quote a, a catholic historian talking about persecution so this one says that the Roman church and state has shed more innocent blood than any other institution that has ever existed among mankind will be questioned by no Protestant who has a competent knowledge of what, everyone? History. Okay, so history says from five, 50 million to 100 million people have died for not agreeing with the Catholic Church theologically during the Dark Ages, okay, especially during the, 
the Protestant Reformation. Notice carefully here. Now it's a Catholic source. I took a picture here, okay, so you can find it. And I want you to see here um, uh, who printed. I don't know if you can see clearly, but uh, the name is the Catholic Church, the Renaissance, and Protestantism. And then what else do we see here? The, uh, notice, notice at the very bottom. You can see um, people involved, Cardinal, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but uh, or you can actually see. I'm going to read to you what is actually right over here, okay? Can you see in this one? Yeah, you can. Printers to the Holy Apostolic See. So this is a source from within, so to speak. Notice carefully what it says here. The Catholic Church has a horror of blood. Nevertheless, when confronted by what, everyone? Heresy, what they perceive to be heresy, okay? Those that disagree with the church. She has resource to what, everyone? Force to corporal punishment, to torture. She creates tribunals like the, what, everyone? Inquisitions. She calls the law, laws of the states to her aid. Especially did she act thus in the 16th century with regards to Protestants. So it is a persecuting power. There is no question about that. And then it says here, it ruled for how long, everyone? 12, 16. And that's, for me, it's like, you know, the seal of the whole matter here. Because, you know, as if it was not enough, God says, I'm going to give you the exact time that this power would have political and ecclesiastical supremacy to the point that they are going to lose that. Notice carefully. What was the year that I told you to keep in your mind? Remember? 538 AD. That's when the last of the three tribes that were plucked out was eliminated from Italy. They still continued the Ostrogoths for more years, but without power over Italy, allowing the, the bishop of Rome to have power there. Okay, But that was the year that they had political supremacy and ecclesiastical supremacy. Let me read this statement to you. Another historian, Dr. Philip Schaff, in the book, The History of the Christian Church, volume 3, page 327. Are you ready for this? It says here, the Roman church state's power became supreme in what, everyone? Christendom. What is Christendom? It's the mixture of Christianity with kingdom. Okay, that's the two words together. When you have the church in alliance with the state, you have Christendom. Are you following? So let's read again. The Roman church state's power became supreme in Christendom in what year, everyone? In 538 AD, due to a letter of the Roman emperor, what was the name? Justinian. Known as Justinian's decree, which set up and acknowledged the Bishop of Rome as the head of how many churches? All churches. And then it goes on to say, it gave the Roman church state what kind of power, everyone? Political power, civil power, as well as ecclesiastical power. That year, Pope Vigilius ascended the throne under the military protection of who? Belisarius who was the general of Justinian, the emperor Justinian. So you see here, you know, the help of the military power. 
So if you calculate 538 AD, when it ascended to supreme power, and you add 1260 years, you come all the way to what year, everyone? 1798. And the question is, what happened historically in 1798 to the Roman Catholic Church and state? What happened in that year? That's simple. You remember Napoleon Bonaparte? Who was Napoleon Bonaparte, everyone? He was a warrior that, you know, wanted to take France um, and uh, become um, a, a unified power in Europe. In other words, he's attempting to unite the European nations under his power. So Napoleon was really tired of the papacy because the papacy had a lot of influence in political matters in Europe, including in France, a lot of Catholics in France back in those days. And Napoleon just said, I can't take him anymore. He wanted the Pope to die, and his plan was after the Pope died, there was no more Pope that we are going to allow to ascend in the, in the Vatican. So... What happened was the Pope didn't die as he was expecting. The Pope was sick, he recovered, and then he decided to expedite that. And he sent his general, Bartier, to go to Rome to put the Pope in prison. And he declared the city of Rome a republic, no longer under um, you know, the leadership of the Bishop of Rome. That happened in the year 1798. Just basic history, friends. This is just basic history. So a man as the head. Yes, there is a man at the head. He speaks blasphemy, as we already saw, okay? So he claims to forgive sins. Does the papacy claim to forgive sins? Yes, we have already seen that. And claims to be God on earth, the bishop of Rome. He persecuted and he ruled for 1260 years. There you have, okay, all the characteristics. And then the last one says what, everyone? change God's law, at least intend to change God's law. Notice this one. Another Roman Catholic source. The Pope is of so great a what, everyone? Authority and power that he can do what? Modify, explain, or interpret even divine law. I'm not so concerned with explain or interpret, okay? I'm concerned with that word what? Modify. That's concerning. And then it goes on to say, the Pope can do what, everyone? Modify divine law since his power is not of man but of God. And he acts as the vicegerent of God upon earth with most ample power of binding and losing his sheep. So did the Catholic Church intended to change God's law, yes or no? Make no mistake, if you compare the catechism with the Ten Commandments found in the Bible, you will see that they completely eliminated the Second Commandment. What does it say, the Second Commandment? Not to make for yourself graven image and bow before them. Let me say this, the Second Commandment does not condemn making an image. If it is for the sake, for instance, uh, just for like decoration, for instance, in the sanctuary, the Hebrew sanctuary, you have the two cherub that were the cherubim that were uh, in between the Ark of the Covenant. Are we together? But no one was supposed to bow before those cherubim and worship and uh, adorate, not even as a repre representative of something. So. What If they eliminated the second commandment, how many commandments are you left? 
9. And then what they did, they took the 10th commandment and divided it in two. The 10th commandment, it talks, Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house. And then they stop it right there. And the second part, they made it as a new commandment. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife, servant, male servant, female servant, or, or anything of your neighbor. So they turn into Ten Commandments. But they also modified the Fourth Commandment, which is related to time. And we're going to discuss more about that in another occasion. But that was another identifying characteristic of the little horn power. So let me just speed up really quick over here. Friends, there is no question tonight that all these characteristics are found in the Roman church and state. And again, friends, I want to remind, it's really the same question that the Jews had to deal with. Who had to deal with? The Jews. The Jews was like that. Jesus was before them. And then the question was, do you want this man or you want a loyalty to Caesar? And they chose loyalty to who? To Rome, right? And the case was Caesar. But who replaced the place of Caesar in Rome? The bishop of Rome. And today is the same matter, friends. We have to make a choice. Either to side with truth. Yes, it cuts. Yes, it goes deep. But never to humiliate Never to kill, but to what, everyone? To heal. Jesus says, I am the way, the what, everyone? The truth and the, the life. No one comes to me, comes to the Father, except through, through me. Right there, you see a contrast to that uh, system of religion that said that salvation is through the church. Salva you want forgiveness, it's through the priest. Notice what it says here. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Friends, I want to call my friends here. I know we are advanced in time, but I want to call my friends here. If you have the cards, I want you to give a, car a card to everyone that is here tonight. And you have to be really quick because we are really running out of time. But uh, tonight you're going to receive a card. And this card will talk about the study we had here tonight. If that study was clear, you know, you write your name there and you say it was clear. If you want to accept that as coming from Jesus and his word as truth, not to kill but to heal, mark over there that you accept the truth that was presented here tonight. Friends, really, it is a, it is a time for decision. The Bible says that if we hear the truth, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. As the truth of the Word of God is clear in mind today and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, if that's clear to you, why not make a decision for Christ? Is it Christ or is it Rome? We need to decide. The Bible says, choose for yourselves this day, not tomorrow, whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve who, everyone? The Lord. May that be your decision. May that be your decision tonight. So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you again for the time we spend together. And Father, it is true. Your word is really a sword that cuts deep and wounds but, Father, we have heard from you that your desire is that 
None should perish, but all should come to repentance. And Father, tonight we allow you to heal our, our hearts. Even though some of us are probably pained for hearing this truth from your word, we pray that you help us to accept and surrender. Father, give us the grace that we need, for we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Let everyone say, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.